This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. Lord God, we love you so much. And we are so thankful for all that you do for us. Lord, at times we are tempted to doubt your sovereign hand, to doubt whether or not you are good, just because of our own particular circumstances. But Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for that. Lord, help us never, no matter what it is that we face, Lord, let us never be tempted to doubt your goodness. And Lord, help us to see in the, in the life of Jonah that you are good, that you are gracious, that you are merciful. And this is the only reason why we can stand before you. For these things we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story about a woman named Bella Gibson. She was diagnosed with a brain cancer in 2013. She went on to cure herself. Amazing, right? She released a popular smartphone app that focused on healthy eating. Gibson even donated a small fortune to charity with the proceeds. She went on to go and represent herself in America with Apple. And when they were launching the Apple Watch, Apple brought her over as a consultant. What an incredible thing. She was named to have one of the top two apps for Apple. Supported, endorsed, made wealthy by this thing. And, and what a thing. A brain cancer, something that many people often die of, uh, even under the greatest medical care. And yet through just simply the right diet, she eventually came to, to heal herself. Made a, made a mozza. And the thing that ultimately brought this whole story down is just how grand it was. She was exposed as a liar about all of these things. She never had cancer. She never donated money to charity. And she definitely didn't heal herself. She was exposed after a series of journalists, after hearing her story and reading her story, became suspicious, not because they had any evidence at the time, but simply because of how grand the story itself actually was. That's what gave her away. And they couldn't prove, they couldn't get her medical records to prove that she was lying. Ultimately, the only thing that they could prove is that she had promised to give money to charity and that she never did. It was the grandness of her claim that made her wealthy, made her famous, gave her a great career, but also exposed her as a liar. God's sovereignty does this as well. God's sovereignty is is grand, it's so grand that it exposes people. God's sovereignty should be celebrated but often it exposes the idolatry of our own heart. Just like the grandness of Bella Gibson's claims, so God's sovereignty ultimately ends up exposing the idols of our own hearts if we will not submit to that sovereignty. 
if we do not find joy or gladness or righteousness in that sovereignty. And that's exactly where Jonah finds himself here. Exposed. A prophet of God. He's come along to Nineveh and he proclaims a message of five words. If you were here last week, you remember. Five words. And the whole city turns. As a preacher, I've got to tell you, I'm kind of jealous. You can preach for a long time. You can preach a lot of words. You can, you can preach towards a, 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 a sympathetic audience and never get really anywhere. Jonah steps forward and he proclaims five words to a people that are his enemy and, he, and they turn. Surely celebration is in order. That's what this moment calls for. Not Jonah. Not Jonah. At the relenting of Nineveh and the, the turning from their evilness and their wickedness, Jonah laments. And not only does he lament, but he points the finger at God for being unjust. Let's have a look. We know Jonah seemed very angry because of what had happened. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. He says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah actually quotes God's own words back at him. He quotes them at, in Exodus, he quotes Exodus 34, 6 through 7, where it says that exact thing, that God is slow to anger, abounding in love. This was a promised Israel. This was the, the reason why they could approach him despite their own sin. If you want to go over and have a look at it, let's do that. Exodus 34. This is 6 through 7. This is God passing before them, Yahweh passing before them. Verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. They're God's own words. So it's, it's not rocket science for Jonah to know this, that God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love. But it shouldn't be used as an accusation. Also, if you're the reading type, notice what he leaves out. It says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Isn't it funny? We... We can look at Jonah here and go, you're abusing the Bible, mate. You haven't quite got it right. You haven't quoted it correctly. Maybe your theology is a little bit out. You shouldn't be using this as a slur towards God. You shouldn't be pointing the finger at him. You're not judge over God. He gets the Bible wrong. God not only promises that he's loving, but that he's going to be just. But this is the very thing that Jonah is accusing him of. It'd be all too easy to mock Jonah at that point if we weren't exactly the same. It's all too tempting to, to twist the Bible to fit the particular agenda that we've got in the moment, isn't it? We've got to resist this. 
We have to be careful with this. We want to understand what God is actually saying from his word and, 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 to, and to use it correctly. Because otherwise we'll be tempted to make the mistake that Jonah does. We, we end up with a God that's truncated, a God in our own image instead of us being in the image of God. If we pick and, and choose which texts and how we're going to use the Bible, instead of allowing the Bible to expose us, we will be exposed as being idolaters. But Jonah's biggest problem is that he accuses God of being unjust. He feels like Nineveh deserved judgment. They deserve what God had initially promised, and they don't get it. Let's ask ourselves this question. If God originally, in his intentions, went to, to, to send Jonah to, to proclaim his judgment, and Nineveh are worthy of judgment, why doesn't God judge? Why doesn't God simply judge them as he said that he was going to do? Tough question. And it's one that Jonah's wrestling with here. Wrestling so much that he seems to go the complete wrong way. And yet the only answer that we actually have is the answer that he gives. He uses it as an accusation where it shouldn't be an accusation. It should be a statement of trust and faith. The reason why God doesn't judge Nineveh is because he's slow to anger. And because he's abounding in steadfast love and compassion. You see the difference? In Jonah's hand, it is an accusation. For those of us who realize that the only standing that we have before God is the fact that he is slow to anger and compassionate, it's the rock on which we stand. Nineveh becomes a symbol of hope for the world. Jonah should have been that hope as well, because you've just got to think back a little while and think about the fact that, that Jonah receives the very words from God, and what does he do? He flees, he runs, he thinks that he can hide from God, and then he, he's judged himself, and he ends up in the belly of the fish, and why is it that God rescues him? He's slow to anger, compassionate, abounding in steadfast love. And yet, I can sympathize with Jonah's, from Jonah's perspective. It seems, from his perspective, that there's still more. There's an open-ended question that's still to be answered. He should have trusted. Yahweh, he should have trusted. That's all that God ever asks. All he asks of his people is that he will, will trust him. But man, I am so thankful for our perspective, for the fact that we today exist with the answer to the question, how is it that a good and loving God could have forgiven Nineveh? How is it that a good and loving God could have forgiven Jonah? How is it that a good and loving God could have forgiven me? We get that, that answer in, uh, among many places in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. It reads, God presented Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement 
through the shedding of his blood, other translations are here, is a propitiation. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies the one who have faith in Jesus. This is the answer to the question. Why is it that God can be righteous and good and forgive Nineveh? He was being patient. He was being patient. God had set a day when he would make everything right. Everything. He would stand up and say, you have no right to accuse me of unrighteousness or by not living up to my own standards of righteousness because of Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus comes along and yes, he atones you, he atones for me, but he also atones for every single other person that had ever gone before him that had trusted and believed the word of God. I'm not going to stand here before you today and say that Nineveh believed in Yahweh to a point of salvation. But they certainly believed the word that came from Jonah, didn't they? And they were spared. At the very least, the, the nation was despaired the destruction that God had promised to bring upon them. It was Christ. The whole time, it was, it was Christ. God was looking forward to the day when ultimately he would send his own son, where God himself incarnate would come and he would bear the consequences for the sins. Ultimately, because Jesus came, we can say, aha, we know the answer to the question, how can a good and loving God forgive sins in all of his holiness, but also be just? It's because Jesus paid for those sins. It's not that those sins go unpunished. They were punished in Christ. We don't often think about the idea of, of representatives. One died this week, though. Our queen. When the queen died this week, our, our representative died. She, she represented us in all of the different parliaments throughout the world. She has representatives as well, yes, but, but she represented us. She was the, the head of state, the symbol of our commonwealth. Look on your coins if you disbelieve me. And the moment that she died, it was a sad moment, but it was met with long live the king. We have a new representative and he represents us as the commonwealth. And as goes the king, so supposedly goes his reign. It happens as well at the, uh, the idea of, of Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games. I've never, I've never swum any more than about 400 meters, I don't think. But I tell you what, as a, young, as a young lad, when Ian Thorpe was winning gold medals, I was winning gold medals. He, he represented me. He represented our nation. And we could rightly say, we won. Eight years in a row, when Queensland beat New South Wales, I was able to say, we won. <laughs> in Jesus Christ, 
we can say we've won. He's our representative. If Jonah made it to heaven, and, and he's a prophet of God, one who Jesus credits in his own ministry. We have good reason to believe that this flawed individual we will see one day in paradise. But only because of Christ. And so if ever you're tempted to, to, to wonder whether or not God is good, you can look to Christ. If ever you're tempted to wonder whether or not God is righteous, you can look to, you can look to Christ. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God is not slow in fulfilling His promises, but that He's patient towards us, not wanting any to come to anything other than repentance. God is being patient, but ultimately, before the cross and after the cross, it was all Jesus Jesus is the reason why God can be both just and the justifier of those who are unrighteous. And so, we can all look at Jonah now and go, when he says in verse 3, Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a miserable soul. I just want to die now. Uh, my enemy has won, because that's how he thought. My enemy has won. I just want to die. And he exposes something about himself. We see in this next section that God challenges Jonah's right to be angry with God with a tiny little small display of his sovereign power to prove that he both provides and destroys. And that Jonah should recognize just how small he is before God. Of critical importance. Let's have a look. Verse 4, then the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to shade, to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. You can see this. Uh, uh, it's all too funny for me as somebody who doesn't have kids to see kids uh, be told no by their mum and dad and then to watch them go and sit in the corner and pout. But it's also kind of pathetic. You can get away with it when you're a child. But when you're a fully grown man, it's pretty pathetic. But that's exactly what Jonah does. He, he doesn't get his own way. And so he goes and pouts. 
He, he hoped that the city would be destroyed, but rather than being destroyed, they, they turn from their evil ways. And so he goes and sits outside the city gates in the scorching heat and waits. What's he waiting for? Why does he wait? Why does he build himself a little shelter so that, so that he's covered a little bit? Why not just get on with your miserable life and go back to Israel? He's still hoping, isn't he? He's still hoping that God is going to, to bow to Jonah's will. He thinks he can control God. He thinks that he can manipulate God in such ways to make God do what God doesn't want to do. He doesn't get his way. God uses this as the object lesson. Notice God provides. Did you notice that language? God provides. God provides a leafy plant. God provides a worm. So God in his providence is able to overnight make this plant spring up. What a thing. Jonah doesn't cultivate. He doesn't plant. He doesn't water. He does nothing. And God just does it. And so, again, we discover that God is sovereign over his people. Yes, Jonah. Yes. We find out that he is sovereign over those sailors that aren't his people. Uh, He's sovereign over the wind. He's sovereign over the waves. He's sovereign over storms. He's sovereign over uh, a fish that he sends along to, to eat him. We find out that he's sovereign over, over Nineveh, a people that are not his own, a people that he cares about. That's how far his sovereignty extends. The enemies of God, the enemies of God fall under the sovereignty of God. And now a leafy plant doesn't seem as impressive and a worm. Remember, at first, Jonah is annoyed that God doesn't judge. That's what he's annoyed about. But notice when God grows this plan up and gives some alleviation to Jonah, while he sits and pouts in his miserable state, hoping that God will destroy the city, God sends a worm, a tiny little worm. And this worm begins to eat the plant in such a way as the plant dies. And then Jonah's angry at God for judgment. This, this plant has been judged by God. God provided the, the worm to come along and destroy it. And so on one hand, Jonah feels like he can tell God when he can be merciful, and this is not the place. And then on the other hand, he feels like he can tell God when he can be just and he can bring wrath, and this is not the place. And Jonah has no sovereignty or responsibility over any of it. He's a servant of God. But this is what Jonah thought that he would be. He thought he would be the miserable little worm who would get into the midst of Nineveh, this great city, and would proclaim a little message and that the whole city would fall. I honestly believe that God is trying to show Jonah just how miserable he is actually being. The plant dies, Jonah's angry at God again. Our third part and 
Starting at verse 9, we're told that, that Jonah can be angry or upset over the death of the plant that he did not produce. Can't God be upset over the destruction of the people that bear his image? That's the question that's laid before him. So look, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant that you did not tend to or make or grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern over the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? 120,000 people, women, children, men, yes. This is a city of great renown in its day for the, the evil atrocities that it was committing. But there were women, there were children, there were those peasants. Jonah would have been happy at the death of them all. Not only those who were busy in the conducting of the travesties. And so God sets this thing before him. He says, you didn't do anything about the plant. You didn't make the plant come. I did that. And you're angry. Why is it, therefore, that I can't be upset over the destruction of people? It's a good question. Let's think about this for a moment, though. You're not Jonah. You're not a prophet of God. You've not been given a message for a people or a city. But this is what God used to expose Jonah. Although we do not suffer from the same problem that Jonah has towards this, these enemies of his, although we might be able to lift our hand and say, we're not tempted to doubt the goodness of God when he spares our enemies, there is a message here for us. Think again. Jonah is angry over the mercy shown to Nineveh and the judgment shown to a plant, and this exposes Jonah's problem. Rather than trusting that Yahweh will always do what is right and good, Jonah demands that Yahweh do what seems right and good to him. Jonah has fallen into the all-too-common trap of usurping God's right place by setting himself on the throne of his own heart. When we do this, God becomes a means to our own end. God was hoping, well, Jonah was hoping that God would be the means of his end, meaning the destruction of Nineveh. And it's as if he says, I will worship and trust God if I can have this. I will worship and trust God if I can have the destruction of Nineveh. That's my condition. No matter what this, the, 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 this is, though, if it becomes a condition of our worship and trust of God, it's an idol. Jonah's idol here that's exposed as a righteous prophet of God is that he was not satisfied that God was prepared to spare his enemy. That's what is exposed in his heart. 
He was, not ex- he was not prepared to accept the sovereignty of God or celebrate the sovereignty of God in the deliverance of his enemy. I don't think we do any good by, by claiming, well, I'm glad I'm not that person. Because there are plenty of times when instead of celebrating the sovereignty of God, we might be tempted to question him. To ask, are you fair? How can you be fair in this, God? Singleness might be one of them. The loss of a job. The not having children. Cancer. Disease. Pain. Anxiety. Millions. Think about some good things. Prosperity. The family that we're born into. As long as I have this, God, as long as I've got that, I'll worship and trust you. It's good for that to be exposed in our hearts. It's good when God sheds a light on that because I suspect that many of us might find that there's a lot of thises, if we're honest. For Jonah, it was as long as you deliver us from our enemies. God, you have a chance right now. We know that, we know that Assyria is coming. We know that Assyria is coming in a generation and they're going to they're gonna wipe out Israel. They're going to carry Israel away into captivity. God, you have a chance right now before any of that has happened to save your city. You ever thought about the fact that if you had a chance to go back and kill Hitler, would you? That's what Jonah is saying to God. You have that opportunity now, God, to deliver us. If you do this, I will trust you. If you do this, I will worship you. I will celebrate in your sovereignty. But Jonah's not God. He never was. He was never in a place to put himself in the position to judge God or question God. Thank goodness we have the answer that God was ultimately able to do this because he would lay the punishment that belonged to all sinners on Jesus if they trust him. I'm so thankful for our privileged position. I'm so thankful that that we have been served in that way. But that means the standard of questioning God is only higher. Is God fair? We know he is. We know that even in this question that, that Jonah may have legitimately had, how is God going to reconcile his goodness and his justice? We can say Jesus. And so in those moments of despair where where we are tempted to question the sovereignty of God and God puts a, a spotlight and exposes the idolatry in our heart about whatever this is, it's that moment we need to repent. We never hear repentance from Jonah. We don't get that much of the story. And I think that's because that's the open-ended question. Will he repent? Will he repent of being so miserable? Now that God has, has been able to show him in a, in a tiny little way with a plant, that Jonah is being ridiculous, will he repent? 
Will he see that the souls of 120,000 people were worth being spared, even if that same city would, la would later rise up in judgment against Israel? Would he accept the sovereignty of God? I don't know what the this is for you, but it's worth looking for in yourself. It's worth looking for and asking the question, are there things in my wife that I would dare to come before God and say, if this, worship and trust. If not this, no worship and trust. If there is, you need to kill it. It needs to be confronted. It needs to die. Because ultimately, if it doesn't, you will be exposed. Something will come along and expose you. Romans 8, 28 actually makes a promise, though. Here's the promise. The promise is ultimately that God is able to work out everything for our good. Let's have a look. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things... God works for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That's his promise. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that you're not going to go through struggles or tragedies. That doesn't mean that God is never going to expose the, the this in your life. It does mean that you have to trust him in those moments where you're feeling the pressure of God, God putting his finger on the this and saying, will you trust me in it? We have to trust him that ultimately because of what he's done in Jesus Christ, that he is and will work it out for our good. Why don't we pray? Lord God, we want to thank you so much for what it is that you've given us in Jesus. We know that without him, we would not stand. He is the answer to the question, how can a good God, a good holy God, forgive sinners and be just? Lord, we're thankful for that answer. But Lord, we know that as well, there are times where either now or sometime in the future, we may be tempted to ask how can God be fair? How can this be my lot if God is fair? Lord, I pray in those moments that you would bring to our remembrance that we should never place anything between our trust and worship of you, but that our trust and worship of you should be unconditional because ultimately you have done everything that is necessary for us to be saved. And we know that because you have given us Jesus, you will also through him give us all things. And so, Lord, we pray that you would get the glory that is your due. In Jesus' name. Amen.